Are you looking for truth from God's word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons, Bible teacher and president of Clarity Christian College, formerly known as Florida Bible College. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. Today, we're going to continue our study about new relationships, and it'd be good for us to maybe go back for a moment. Do you remember the first time that you had that new relationship with that mate, the one you're married to now, or that very special someone that was in your past? Maybe it was when you first had your first child, and every child is special and exciting, but that one child, the first time you've become a new parent and you had that new relationship. You remember how real special that was? You could tell that difference. You would glow when you were around. You would want to talk to that new mate. You would write them letters. You'd get on the telephone. You loved to listen to them. You'd sit down for hours and you would communicate and just talk about all sorts of stuff. Generally, a lot of surfacey stuff and then it'd move into some substance. And then beyond all of that, talking and writing, you like to spend time with them, going places. You could never be around them enough. You know, it was always hard to give that last kiss to say, good night, I got to go now. It was very difficult. And you like to be around other people who also like that special someone in your life as well. How about the person that you really like, others like, but there was one who didn't like your mate or your fiance as much as you did and you got thinking boy they keep putting that person down you didn't like being around that person you only wanted to be around the ones that really like being together kind of hanging together with one another and then people would ask you there's something new about you what is it And you would say oh it's because I've got a new relationship I got a new friend in my life well do you know that that same type of relationship is manifold manifested in the life of Christ You know, when you've come to know Christ as your Savior, if you can go back down memory lane and remember that time. Do you remember how excited you were? How that you loved to talk to the Lord? You loved to hear about the Lord? You read His book and you really couldn't get enough of the Bible? I remember I was so excited. I heard a song on the radio one time and I thought it was a Christian song. I had to call Carol up just to tell her that there's a new Christian song on the secular station. It happened to be sung by the monkeys called I'm a Believer. No joke. I was so excited till I listened to all of the words. But you know, you start having that kind of life. You know, you want to tell others about the Lord. But you want to be around other people that want to tell others about the Lord. But you often find yourself that those that want to put the Lord down or put Christianity down or challenge the Bible, you don't really want to spend as much time with them. Well, that's because you have a new relationship with Christ. And I hope that some of you that are looking to have an eternal relationship with the Lord, that you would come to Him by faith alone, and you too, your life will change. But not only is that relationship different with the Lord, but that relationship you have with the Lord will make other relationships often better and different. First of all, even in your marriage, when you come to know Christ as your Savior, you'll learn that marriage means being unselfish because the Lord taught us about being unselfish and He died on the cross. And that unselfish attitude of giving sacrificially, unconditional love, that lives within us through Christ. And now we want to demonstrate that to our mate. And then we look at our family. And we decided that we have a new relationship with the Lord and just like that relationship we have with the Lord, we want to have it with others, which is we want to be caring toward our family. We really care for their needs. When they hurt, we want to hurt with them. We want to be a part of their life. We want to add value to their life. We want to do things that will bring relationships together. 
And that's because of our relationship with the Lord. And that relationship isn't only in marriage and at home, but it also spills over into our world of work or even at school. And so now at school, we tend to have a different relationship with people there because of our relationship with Christ. We tend to be a little bit more loyal. We want to live a little bit better of a separated life, having honesty and decency and integrity. And so our relationship begins to change there. And then again, we look at our relationship. It continues because our relationship with the Lord now is not just we get saved, have that momentary act of faith, and then we leave him behind. No, we want to have a continual relationship with him. And what better way is there than to commune with him through prayer, which is building a relationship with him by speaking with him and communicating with him. But often, it's about others. And that's really where we are today. Now we want to talk about how do we relate with other people who are unbelievers. Let me ask you a very serious question, one that I think you could answer. But how many of you live next door to someone or has someone in your immediate family or you go to school with someone that does not know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior as you do? Would you raise your hand? Well, my hand could go up as well. And so in our new relationship with unbelievers, we need to be wise toward our non-Christian friends and family members. So I would like to share with you some biblical principles and how you can go deep into the person of Christ and allow him to live out his wisdom through you in touching the lives of unsaved people. And so there are some key words. If you really want to work with those who don't know Christ as their Savior, what do I do? What would a Christ follower do? You want to focus on three, and you may want to circle these. You're going to have different thoughts now. You're going to think differently toward the Lord, toward unsaved people. Then second, you're going to talk a little bit differently toward them, especially when you want to talk to them about faith issues and the simple gospel. And then also you want to walk a little differently. It doesn't mean walk weird. It just means your lifestyle will change because you're a new person in Christ, so you're going to walk differently around them for the purpose of connecting them to the Lord. So for just a moment right now, I'd like you to think about it this way. You have a brand new love of your life. It's called Jesus Christ. And now you want to tell them about the Lord. As if you have a new love in your life or a new child in your life and you want the whole world to know that you're in love. Well, how do you do that? How do you do that with unsaved people who themselves probably don't care as much or at all about the love of your life? What do we do? I'd like to kind of give you some of the reasons of why we should do this because they're so important. I want you to just for a moment think about the plight of an unsaved person. Now to do that, it's a lot different than the plight of someone in this world who doesn't love the person you love. Now, for example, you know that I love Carol, been married 39 years, been together for 40 some years in dating relationships and all of that. But as it may, there may be some of you that could, wouldn't care a bit about my relationship to Carol. I can't believe that in here because we do love each other and the people that we love. But out in the world, they really wouldn't care. If you didn't like Carol, if a person didn't like Carol because I love Carol... You know, I'd feel badly for them because they missed one of the most precious ladies on this earth and they didn't get a chance to know her and they missed that opportunity and that might hurt me a little bit, but they could go on with life and no big deal, they didn't know Carol. But let me tell you something, if a person that's in our life does not know the real center of our love affair with Jesus Christ, they do not know the Lord like you know the Lord, it is a big deal for them. Because when they die without knowing the Lord, and I don't mean just knowing Him intellectually or historically, but I mean knowing Him because they placed their faith in Christ and had a born-again experience. If they don't know Him, do you know what the consequence is for them? The consequence is to find that when they die, they're going to spend eternity in a horrific place called hell, separated from the intimacy with God 
because they haven't trusted Christ as their Savior, condemned for only one reason. Not for their sin, but because they have chosen not to believe in Jesus Christ. John said this through Christ, the speaker. Jesus said, so simply, He that believes on me is not condemned, but he that believes not is condemned already because they have not believed in Christ. So, for your friends right now, the ones you go to school with, your neighbors and your family, the ones you work with, if they don't know the love of your life, which would be a family member maybe, they can go on with life, no big deal. But if they don't know Christ and they die without trusting Christ as their personal Savior, they have a horrible, horrific future for eternity waiting for them. So now I ask myself, what would be some reasons that I should try to share with them about the love of my life, which now is Jesus Christ? What, what should I do? Well, here's one reason. Because of the love of Christ for them. Now, I used to think that I need to work up some kind of love for unchurched people. And if I really love them, then I would try to reach them. I don't really see that in Scripture. It's not my love for them that gets worked up. What I really do is I allow myself to yield to the Lord and His great love that He has for the world that was demonstrated on the cross, that love is shed abroad in my heart to those people. So it's the love that God has for them. For just a moment right now, would you just think about how much God really loves your neighbor? How much God really loves the people with whom you work? He really loves them. Look at the verse we have here from Scripture. It goes like this. For the love of Christ compels us, motivates us, moves us, because we judge thus, that if one died for all, which would be Christ, then all died, and he died for all. That means every one, the sin's been paid for through Christ. Then it says that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Now, you might want to underline these words in the verse. All right, here it is. Those who live should live, underline that phrase, and then go down a notch, and put it where it says, for him. Those who live should live for the Lord. So now I ask myself this question. I really love the Lord. He really loves the lost. How can I live for the Lord? Well, if I really want to live for the Lord, then I want to become what he wants me to be. And then I want to do what he wants me to do. And one of the things he wants me to do for my love for him and because of his love for the lost is that he wants me to engage an unsaved community with the simple plan of salvation. So my motivation is God's love for the world, God's love for me, that's motivating me now to touch them for Jesus Christ. I want to live for Him, and I want to live for that gospel message for whom He's died, for what He's died. Second, because of the great privilege. Man, that's a great reason now. i got a great privilege to share the gospel. Look at the verse. It says this, But as we've been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, that God looks at us as a believer and he says, you know what, I approve you, you're certified now, to be entrusted with this gospel message. Even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who tries our hearts. Look at the last line, speak not as pleasing men, but God who tries our hearts. Circle the word speak there, then circle the word pleasing, and then circle the word God. So you have three words together, mean speak, pleasing God. What's one way I can speak to please the Lord. According to this verse, it's the privilege of telling them how to have eternal life. What a great privilege we have. Think with me for a moment. Can you imagine if you are an obstetrician and you get the privilege of looking at this lady who's with child about ready to give birth and you are now called in to help her to deliver that child and in the process of the delivery, that child is going through some distress because of some medical complication. 
But because of the training that you have and your care for that patient and that baby, you draw upon that training that you've had and that experience and you work that little infant and you turn that infant around and you do all the procedures that you know how to do. And by that, that little infant not only survives, but becomes extremely healthy and thrives. As an obstetrician, you could look at that event and say, wow, that's a great thing. What a privilege I have to bring this woman to full term and birth. And now look what's happened. What a great thing. But I'm going to tell you, as great as obstetricians are and how they've rescued many of impending deaths, that child and that mother will eventually die. And so I could go through every single profession and the value that they add to humanity and to this earth, but eventually at the end of all of that, all of those people, all of those clients, all of those customers, they all will eventually die. But you as a Christian, you don't have to be a great professional person. You don't have to be tremendously knowledge, knowledgeable in all the things of the world. But all you have to do is to love the Lord, love Him with all of your heart, with all of your soul and all of your mind, and be properly trained in a very simple way to engage that person with the gospel. And you can tell them a simple message that's more powerful than you ever will be, that I'll ever be. And that power that's in the gospel can now be taken into the heart of that person and that person can have that light turned on where they then will believe in Christ and have eternal life. Just like that. You then have the greatest privilege of all and that is to be the instrument of God's message of salvation to clearly explain the message to them. Now, some of you might think like this. But, Pastor, you don't know the unsaved people that are in my life. They have many more ranks above me in military. I, you don't know the people I work with. They're professional people. You don't know the people that are my neighbors. They know so much more than I know. I don't, I don't know what they know. How could I ever engage them with the gospel? Now, listen to what I'm about to tell you. You don't have to engage them in military tactics or professional wisdom. You don't have to engage them in their style of life. What you're engaging them in is something that you definitely know will know infinitely more than they do, which is the simple way to go to heaven by faith alone. So now you have a person, and I say this in love, they're ignorant, though, of the gospel. You are knowledgeable about the gospel, and you know that by faith in Him and the ability that God has given to you in the Word to communicate the gospel clearly that you now know more than they do and the power of God takes over. The only issue is this that you and I have to be willing to open up the conversation and get into that with them. And that's all we have to do. And it doesn't mean that we compare knowledge or all that one toward another. It's the ability that we have to communicate the Word of God clearly and accurately. We'll talk more about that in a moment. So there's a great privilege in this. And then number three, there's a command involved. Some of us might need to be bumped a little bit into sharing the love of our life, Jesus Christ, with other people once we realize that it's not an option. That with God, it is a command. Yes, there's love involved that motivates us. Yes, there's a privilege to reward us. But at the same time, there's a command to obey. Now look at the verse. It says this. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And it tells us to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always. Now while you're looking at that verse carefully, some of you will deduce that this must mean that the command is to go and go do the job. Technically, in the Greek, it is not that way at all. Actually, the go, therefore, is in a particular tense that says, as you're going. So, in other words, as you're going about your life, whether you're a student, whether you're a housewife, whether you're working in the world of work outside the home, whatever type of employment, wherever you go, whether it's to the picnic or on a picnic at the beach or on vacation or to a conference or to go to the store or the mall, 
as you go, the implication is because you have the love of your life, the Lord Jesus Christ, wherever you go now, now here's the command. The command is, wherever you go, make disciples of all nations. Now, you can't make a follower of Christ. But what you can do is to engage that person with the gospel. And in the process of doing that, in obedience to him, to a command to go do that, then I'm going to tell you that God says, I will be with you to the ends of the earth. Now, remember, the whole concept there is not just tell them how to go to heaven. It's to help them to know how to go to heaven and then to teach them the truths of Scripture. And then to remember that you're not doing it alone because the Lord is with you. But there is a command. So folks, the opposite of this verse would be that if I don't do it, if I don't, as I go, engage people with the message of the gospel, helping them become a fully obedient worshiper of God, if I don't do that, then I'm living in disobedience. Now think for a moment, just a moment. If you disobeyed a direct command of your employer or supervisor and they knew you were doing that, and you did it continually in disobedience, in other words, you didn't do what they told you to do, how long do you think you might have a job? You young people, if you continually live in disobedience to a command given to you by your mom and dad, how long will it be before your parents will engage into your life some things to get you into a state of obedience again? Well, is it just possible that whatever excuse we might make for not obeying the Lord by making disciples wherever we go, that is it possible that maybe right now you are living in a state of disobedience in this one area, not to put you on guilt, I'm there too, but listen carefully, that maybe right now you are being spanked by the Lord. There are things that are happening in your life right now, not where God's punishing you, that's done on the cross, but where he's trying to get your attention, that he wants you to move from that state of disobedience in the area of evangelism into a state of obedience because he's got a wonderful, wonderful reward waiting for you. And there's greater peace and great things that are out there for you. But because you're living in a state of disobedience, you're not being promoted. There's not a good intimacy with him like you really once have. And so maybe what you might do is just check that as you go, do you recognize that we've been left on planet earth to engage people with the gospel? Now, if I had this new relationship with the Lord, we would want to tell everyone about him. So what are some specific ways to do it? Well, as I went through this passage, I really think there are three categories that we can engage these people. How should we do it? What's the best way to do that? Let's look at number one. It's going to be in our thoughts. Now, it's in other words, we have to have the attitude of outreach. There's got to be an attitude that we want to connect to the Lord. We know he's with us. It's a, it's a God thing. It's a Jesus thing to reach out to our friends and family. And so we want to be thinking about that. It's got to be on our mind. So if we have it on our mind, we should be praying. So our thoughts, how we pray. Now in this context, it says this. We pray for God to open a door. So we're saying, Lord, I now want to tell other people about you. So would you open a door for me? And we know God will. And the second, pray for your message to be clear. Pray that I may make it clear as I ought to give it. I was reading an article about prayer and I thought I'd share this with you. It reminded me about an aspect of prayer that I had totally forgotten. Let me see if it helps you like it caused me to think about it here for a moment. There's an important issue of prayer and it goes like this. Just a little phrase. It says, The most unusual experience will be God's decision to put to work the person who cried out to Him. What that basically says is that it's quite possible that while you're crying out to God for God to do something to answer your request, that God has given it back to you and me and says, but you're to do the work. 
I got thinking about that. Not maybe in every case, but in some cases while we're saying, oh Lord, open up a door for us. It might be that God has opened the door because we live in a free country to speak. He might have opened us a door because he's given us an ability not to live alone in a house and never get out. He's given us a way to get out among people. So he's opened that door. And so the door might already be open right now. We're asking God to do this and we might already be the one that could answer that door. It doesn't mean to smash down a door that's been locked. But it might mean to lightly tap a door that might appear to be closed but really isn't closed, which might mean this way. You might want to begin to talk to the person about a secular issue that you guys can agree on, move it into some kind of a spiritual conversation so you move it away from just earthy things and start talking about things that make them comfortable on spiritual matters and then move into one on the gospel and now talk about how you know you have eternal life. You might be surprised in how that door could be open. Let's go to number two. Besides our thoughts now, if we're really thinking about it, what we think about, we're going to talk about it. It's interesting when I sometimes work with college kids earlier in my, my ministry, that when I'm around a college kid, and I think it's almost true about any human being, even adults, is that if you listen to them long enough, you'll know what's on their mind because that's what they'll be talking about the most. You know, out of the abundance of the heart, the Bible says, the mouth speaks. So if they're talking about perhaps going to the beach and then they're talking about schoolwork, and they're talking about going to the beach, and then they're talking about their family, and they're talking about the beach, and then they're talking about some of the things they have to do around the house, they're talking about the beach. And then, what do you think is more on their mind, everyone? The beach is, because it keeps popping up to the surface all the time. Why am I saying that? If you become gospel-centered because of your love affair for the Lord, and you love Him with all of your heart, you truly do, and you want to tell others about the Lord, and you know their plight, if that's on your mind as you begin to say, oh Lord, open up a door, Lord, help me to be able to share the message, do you know that it'll be on your tongue that soon you'll always be kind of gospel alerted, evangelistically alerted to things that are happening around you? And that's why we say it turns into our talk, how we speak. Look at the first check mark. It says, speak with confidence. It says, to speak the mystery of Christ. Speak with confidence, to speak. Now, I thought this was interesting as I read through this one passage that Pastor Charlie read to us this morning. Did you know that the word speak, speak, speech, three times it referred to a verbal communication around the message of the gospel? Now, when I read that three times in one passage, it really struck me that part of my evangelism is not merely going to be a changed life. It's not merely going to be that I live so differently that they might come and ask me, that I'm, am I a Christian or not? It's not going to be me wearing Jesus t-shirts. It's not going to be me having five different Christian bumper stickers. It's not merely me going to be playing Christian music wherever I'm at. Here it's talking about speak the mystery of the gospel. And the issue is to those of us who know Christ as Savior. So somewhere in our commitment to Christ and our relationship to Christ is that we want to speak and engage those who don't know about Christ with the message of the gospel. So here's a question that we can ask ourselves to take an inventory. When was the last time that you and I separately engaged an unsaved person with the gospel where we went eyeball to eyeball, nose to nose, toes to toes with the precious plan of salvation? When was the last time we did that? Now, it's not to put us on a guilt trip. It's just taking our temperature. Now, some of you can go back as recently as maybe last week. Could it have been, though, that it was kind of like a called upon situation? Like I could say... Well, I gave the gospel last Sunday from the pulpit. See, I'm faithful. Well, it's easy when I've got a hostage audience to give the gospel to, but it's more difficult when I'm on the bus or I'm at the beach or wherever I might be where there's unsaved people. 
And so I'm talking about where you and I are so much in love with the Lord that we can't help but speak the mystery of the gospel to those people. When was the last time you did that? And if it's been a long time, how humble can we be to say, you know, it's been too long? And you really right, I got so immersed in doing good things that are important. But as good as that was, those good things crowded out some of the other things I should be doing. I don't want to say giving the gospel is greater than doing some of the things that you were doing that God wanted you to do. But in a sense, Satan can get us off balance in doing so many teaching things, so much discipleship, that we often forget about engaging the lost culture ourselves. And this passage brings us back to balance, that we do need to engage the lost culture with speaking the mystery of Christ, which is the gospel. Look at the next check mark. It says to do it with correctness and clarity. Because once we begin talking to them about the message, it ought to be in a way that would engage them with the clarity of the gospel. It needs to be done correctly. So it's often assumed that we assume that our kids and our people know Christ as Savior because they talk about the Lord and they use little catchphrases. I call it Christianese, little gospelese. But in their heart of hearts, are they truly trusting in Christ alone? So let me try to submit to you very quickly Follow along this train of thought because we're to love him with all of our heart, but we're also to love him with all of our mind. And when I trust in the Lord, I don't trust in a mystical, emotional Jesus. I trust in the facts, the doctrine, the theology that's all wrapped up in the whole work of Christ as well. So here's what we could look at. First of all, God says that we're all sinners and every one of us ought to admit that we have missed the mark of God's perfection. It's not that we have to weep and wail and gnash our teeth that we're sinners. It just means that we have missed the mark of God's perfection, that we have sinned and we are a sinner by nature and choice. This is Joe Pons, and I want to thank you for listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries and president of Clarity Christian College. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It's the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. That's makeitclear.org. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please email us at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. That's tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear.